and I tell this to all my patients, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And you can make yourself really overwhelmed about these environmental chemicals that we're exposed to. I've had conversations with moms. They're like, but grandma won't buy organic strawberries. And should I let my child eat when she's at their house? And, you know, I'm like, you know, if you go see grandma like once every two, three months, please just let the child eat whatever she serves. You know, you want them to love grandma and have a good experience. But if grandma's taking care of them every single day and is their, you know, care provider, then you may need to have a conversation about or just buy the organic strawberries. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Dr. Victoria Mazies. Dr. Mazies is the executive director of the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine and a professor of medicine, family medicine, and public health at the University of Arizona. Internationally recognized as a leader in integrative medicine, Dr. Mazies is committed to helping people live healthier lives and pioneering change efforts that address U.S. healthcare system challenges. Together with her team at the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, she has trained thousands of health professionals who collectively serve more than 10 million people. Dr. Mazies graduated from Bernard College of Columbia University, received her MD from the University of California, San Francisco, completed her residency in family medicine at the University of Missouri, Columbia, and her fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona. A highly sought-after speaker, Dr. Mazies lectures worldwide to academic and community audiences on integrative medical education, women's health, pain management, environmental issues, healthy aging, nutrition, and cancer. She is the author of Be Fruitful, The Essential Guide to Maximizing Fertility in Giving Birth to a Healthy Child, and co-editor of the Oxford University textbook, Integrative Women's Health. Dr. Maisie serves as co-host of the popular podcast, Body of Wonder, together with Dr. Andrew Wheel. In this episode, Dr. Maisie shares her top methods for improving fertility and conceiving healthy children with ease. She covers everything from what medications should be avoided to environmental toxins, nutrition and supplementation, exercise, and stress management. This is probably the most comprehensive fertility episode we've hosted and I've personally listened to. So if you're looking to improve your fertility or just want to have a healthier pregnancy, get out your notepad or the notes section in your phone because this information is invaluable. Welcome, Dr. Maisie. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Um, we got to catch up a few days ago and talk about, you know, go through some topics. And the one we landed on for today, I'm so excited about not only, you know, being in a position of having a 17-month-old now and a baby that is coming in about a month, um, which is a little frightening, um, but also working with so many clients who have struggled with fertility um, mm -hmm. or with conception. And, you know, it's it, it's probably one of the worst feelings. One, as a practitioner, to see your clients going through it. Um, but also knowing so many, you know, clients and friends and family who have had issues with fertility, um, probably one of the hardest things they've ever gone through. So I'm really 
happy that we can hopefully, you know, like you said, conceiving help, healthy children with ease. We can really yes. put the ease in that. Yes. Um, and make people feel a little bit better. But thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd love, you know, we really want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Obviously, we all have our our bios we send over and but there's always like more to the story. So I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit more about your journey to integrative medicine and then how you led into, you know, having a passion for helping women in their fertility journeys. Sure. Um Maybe I would say that I was born to do integrative medicine. <laughs> um, I was really interested in public health when I was in college. I actually designed my own major that was uh, public health oriented. But at that time, public health was really focused on uh, infectious diseases. And what I meant by public health is how do you help people lead healthier lives, which Maybe fast forward is a real reason for doing uh, the work I do around fertility and helping people conceive healthy babies. Because if you really want to uh, think about health promotion, think about prevention, then the earliest start would be before someone is actually born, right? What can you do to be as healthy as possible, both the biological male and the biological female parents, so that the sperm and the egg are in the best possible shape so that the womb is the best possible environment for this developing human being. So I'd say my interest is kind of a natural one, but you know there are of course other things that go into it. So when I was a kid, I had um an aunt who couldn't have children, my mother's younger sister. And so I remember being this kid like overhearing these whispered conversations about all the tests she was having and all the things she was attempting. Um, when um, she was 40, IVF came into being, but 40 was considered way too old then. And so she missed those opportunities. And I think I knew from a really young age, I wanted to have children. And so a part of me wondered, since this was true in my aunt, and also I had a great aunt who couldn't have children. So I was like, is this going to happen to me? So I think that was a little bit in the back of my head. But fast forward many, many years, I'm at the University of Arizona. Uh, I'm seeing patients in our integrative medicine clinic. And this woman comes in to see me. She's 48 years old. And she tells me that she is going to have a baby with IVF. Now, this was a long time ago. And I was kind of blown away because 48 is not such a common age to have a baby. But she told me she was going to use a donor egg. And her question was, what can I do to be as healthy as possible so that this baby, this fetus, this baby does well? And I thought, what a great question. And so I started really diving deep. And, you know, from there, I ended up seeing lots of women with a variety of questions about um, conceiving or struggling uh, because they were having some difficulty conceiving. Yeah. See, that's such a great story. Like I bet, you know, that's not in the bio, right? <laughs> All those, but it's, it's, it has some of that personal connection, right? Mm -hmm. And then I love it. It's almost like Dr. Mays, I kept thinking I'm like the overachiever, like, oh, if I'm really going to make someone healthy, let's start before they're even born. <laughs> but it's well, overachievers, I, mean, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you could say that on one yeah. level, but just <laughs> let me say that 
I am not alone in this thinking. Um, there's no. a um, a scientist, Dr. David Barker, who put out the um, the fetal health hypothesis, and basically he um, showed through his research that your health, not just when you're first born, but when you're a child, when you're an old adult, when you're an old person. So whether you end up with increased risk of um, a neural tube defect or some musculoskeletal problem, a heart defect, relates to what happened in u- in the uterus. Whether you ended up having childhood cancer or ADHD relates to what happens in the uterus. Whether you develop high blood pressure or heart disease or Parkinson's disease or cancer are affected by the uterine environment. So um, it is really relevant if you want to have a healthy life to start out well. No, definitely. I mean, you're ahead of your time because now, I mean, and luckily so many, I do find so many women are concerned about their nutrition status. I still think, which we will help with today, like what they still don't know the answers of how, you know, what, how should I be preparing my body? But it's so true. I mean, even right, like a baby growing their GI tract, like so many things. I mean, they're developing. Mm-hmm. So right. anything that's a little bit off, and right. I don't think we realize how closely our nutrition is tied right. to it. Like, I think just your average woman who's pregnant or trying to conceive, they're like, well, if I generally eat well, I take a prenatal, which there are lots of prenatals out there on the market, which which have all varying levels of nutrients. Right. Um. And it's also, you know, it's all the question of, well, what is a healthy diet, right? right. Like, there's so much subjectivity to all of it. Right. Um, but I'm really excited today to get kind of down into that nitty gritty of what mm-hmm. specifically people can do. So I would love, like, if you could just talk about your top methods for improving fertility and conceiving, like we said, healthy children with this ease, and then we can kind of dive into each and dissect them a little bit more. Sure. So before you ever get pregnant, you know, and you're just thinking about it, or you're thinking, I may want to have a kid, you know, one day, one day in the next few years, I think really early on, there are a few things you want to think about. One is, are you on any medicines that it would be better if you weren't taking? Because for example, uh, there is an association, which means we haven't proved that it's causal, but it's a really prominent association between being on an antidepressant of the SSRI class, which is the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is Zoloft and Paxil and Prozac, and having a child with autism. And it's true if you take that medicine in the three months before you get pregnant, and it's true if you're on it during the first trimester. So I'm not opposed to medicine. We believe in using medicine and integrative medicine. But if you're no longer depressed, get off that medicine. Or if you're just mildly depressed and you think you want to have a child soon, do something else to manage your mild depression because you don't really want to be taking that. There are better and worse choices of medicines for seizure disorders. So you may well have to be on a medicine. But again, some of them increase the risk of having a child who has autism. So you want to think about the medicines you're on. You want to think about, are you appropriately vaccinated? There are really 
bad diseases that will have a bad effect on a baby if you have them while you're pregnant. Some of them like measles, mumps, rubella. So you want to be sure that that vaccine you probably had when you were a kid is still uh, affecting you. And you do that by having blood tests to see that you have antibodies. You want to clean up your environmental toxins. So this is a sad fact. We live in a world where we get exposed to a lot of environmental toxins, and many of them show up in our food. So we're going to know we're going to talk about food and, and better and, and less good choices. But they also show up in our shampoo, conditioner, moisturizer, sunscreen, uh, in the cleaning products we use in our house, in our garden products. So you want to be thoughtful about what you're being exposed to. Some come out of our body super quick, like bisphenol A, which you know, used to be used in the lining of cans. It's in plastic. It's in thermal receipts. So when um, a gas station prints out a receipt and you hold that receipt, the BPA is getting into your body through your skin. So some of them come out really fast, but others can last a really long time, like heavy metals. And so you want to pay attention so that you minimize the amount of these toxins. And for some of your listeners who are going, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really clean, no big deal. Well, the Environmental Working Group did a study of women and found that they had more than 230 of these chemicals in their body at the time of the baby's birth in the umbilical blood. So we have to take this risk seriously, and we have to do what we can to reduce our exposures. And then the food we eat, the way we exercise, the way we manage our stress are all really important, both for conceiving with greater ease and also for maintaining your health while you're in pregnancy. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you brought up the different medications and because I think that's one that people don't realize. And I think for anyone listening, right, like it could also it can be scary if you one, if you're like, I'm not really sure if my depression is less or right on or, you know, it can be scary to do some of those things. But it also opens up another door to maybe finding um, a different avenue to help with that depression that maybe doesn't require such intense medication. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to say that for anyone listening that's like, here's that. And they're just like, oh, you right. know, it's a little scary. And also, I'm glad you brought up vaccines, too, because um, that's, again, something I just don't think people think about right? or are told. But it's very real. And I'm sure, you know, the percentage is low of someone contracting measles while they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. But right? Like we still want to make sure we're taking all the necessary precautions. Mm. Um, I'd love to dive into all the other categories though mm -hmm. too. So I want to touch mm -hmm. on, so cleaning up our environmental toxins. Um, what would you say you specifically were talking about heavy metals really mm -hmm. lingering? Mm -hmm. And we know this, what would be some examples of how heavy metals can get into our system? And then what would be some good ways to change something in our lifestyle or avoid having heavy mm -hmm. metals affect yeah. our bodies? So one heavy metal that gets into our body is mercury. And that could happen if you live near a coal plant and the mercury is in the air and then you're breathing air that has mercury in it. But the thing that's more likely um, for people is 
uh, eating fish that has high mercury content. And uh, the um, Food and Drug Administration warns um, women who are considering pregnancy or are pregnant to avoid four kinds of fish, uh, swordfish, shark, king mackerel, and tilefish. Now, I've never been offered tilefish in my whole life. I have asked people this question, and it does get served on a menu sometimes in the South. So it's not like it doesn't exist. But this is politics. The reason tilefish is on that list is the tuna lobby didn't want tuna, which was number five. So most of us have heard of tuna fish. Lots of us Mm -hmm. eat tuna fish. And that's really a high mercury fish, especially albacore tuna. Uh, So you want to be very careful about your fish choices. Now, on the other hand, people go, I won't eat fish at all. I'm going to be perfectly safe. That's also a mistake because fish is a really good protein source. It's a really good source of iodine, which is often short in our diets. It's a good source of other micronutrients. So you want to choose low mercury fish. So that's sometimes the little fish, like a sardine. Not everyone likes sardines, a herring. Um, some um, salmon, especially if it's the smaller salmon, um, can be a good source. So the really big fish get to bioaccumulate by eating other fish. The carnivorous fish bioaccumulate by eating other fish, whereas the insect-eating fish, the algae-eating fish, are the safer choices. And this is something you can look at online. Um, The Monterey Aquarium has a really nice little fish card that goes in great detail about the different ones. So fish is one example of something you want to be careful about. Um, Another example would be arsenic. Um, Arsenic is a poison. (laughs) Sounds terrible, but it's in our food. For example, rice. Now, when I first started out practicing as a doctor, we would tell moms the very first food you should feed your baby is rice cereal. We don't do that anymore because rice absorbs the arsenic in the way that it's grown. And um, it turns out actually brown rice, which we usually think of as healthier than white rice, has more arsenic. That's because when you polish the white rice, so you remove the outer hull, you actually remove some of that arsenic. So now it's not like you should never eat rice, but you could look at consumer reports and you can learn something about which are the best kinds of rice that have the lowest levels of arsenic. If you're a mom listening, it doesn't mean you should never feed your child rice or rice cereal, but you probably want to mix it up and offer various kinds of cereal and not be so dependent on this one kind of food. Um, and the third really important um, metal is lead. And lead gets into our water supply. It gets into our water supply because we have an old infrastructure and we have lead pipes that we don't even know about. Now, no one would use a lead pipe today, but in the past, lead pipes were used. And you may not know if there's one leading up to your house. So the best way to manage this is either test your water, you know, your tap water coming out of the sink, or get a water filtration system that removes the lead so that you're really comfortable that the water that's coming out that you're drinking or that you're using to make uh, food for your child doesn't have lead in it. I feel like they're all such low lifts that we can do, right? Right. We just have to think about it. And this is kind of going back to like, for anyone listening to, if you're like, but I love my tuna fish, like my tuna fish on my salad is like my weekly, you know, 
once we, we're not saying not have it, but also, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Macy's, but still, I think to this day, if you are getting canned tuna fish, chunk light tuna is the least amount, has the least amount of mercury. So if you're looking at the store, because right when you're when you're going to buy canned tuna, there's usually, I mean, there's at least usually always albacore, right? And chunk light sometimes a few other varieties too. But if you look for that chunk light, that currently is the lowest level amount of mercury. It's not saying there's none in it, but it is a lower level. So if you're like, I really want to have my tuna fish once a week or so. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah. I, I totally agree, but I'd also challenge your listeners. So for yeah. example, if you got canned pink salmon, salmon yeah. for example, mm-hmm. you know, you could add mayonnaise and whatever else you like to add to your tuna salad. And it, yep. it would taste pretty similar. It would have a similar mouthfeel. So you might say, no, that'll never do. That's not what I want. But for a lot of people, and similarly, you know, sardines, not everyone likes sardines, but you can mash them up and put in mayonnaise and some green onion or something else. And again, it'll have a similar um, feel as you're eating it. So you might just challenge yourself. I think variety in our diet is a really good thing. That way, if there is some unhealthy element, you're only getting it in moderation. It's not the food that you're eating all the time. Totally. I agree. And even now, I mean, there's so many good, like people are loving, um, there's so many chickpea, like Right. tuna chickpea recipes yeah. that's yeah. great too especially when you're trying to conceive and pregnant getting like in the extra fiber right or maybe you almost do a mix like half chickpeas half canned salmon or tuna or you know right. just but the one thing i like and it's what we were talking about before is it does when you have to change certain things it does open up new doors it opens yes. up new doors to trying different foods and you may find like oh i actually love having um, my, you know, canned salmon over mm-hmm. tuna fish. It's just we get so accustomed and used to things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to make that note there. In terms of the other heavy metals, I, you know, we we're talking about rice again. It's not to have a fear of rice, but it's it, it's a very real thing that rice does contain arsenic. And unfortunately, I still know a lot of doctors who are recommending you know, rice cereal to first start your child on, and you can even start them on for a whole month before you introduce other foods. I really encourage you to expand your horizons a bit with that. And some other things, if someone's sitting here and thinking, you know, whether that's um, egg yolks is a really great source of nutrition when, you know, a baby's first born. Um, I know for myself, which you don't have to go this extra step, but, and also I will say it was, um, quite the gagging experience while making my son liver. I used to blend up Dr. Macy's like I'd put, I'd cook liver, which I will say it's only $4 for two large livers, which is uh-huh. very much and grass fed as well. I would mix it in a blender with um, sweet potato and spinach. So it was like this whole meal and blend it up. And it was great for him and he loved it somehow. I it was hard for me to make just for the smell <laughs> and I never wanted to taste it. But there are other options out there. Um, so, you know, obviously always feel free to reach out if you're looking for other options. But that's, we just get so stuck on certain things like rice yes. cereals, how you start, you know, like it's just, we have this mindset and, you know, it's tough too because sometimes you are just listening to your medical provider. Um, 
you know, and trusting them. And it's, it's not their fault either. There's a lot of like lack of, um, nutrition education in terms of the medical field as well. So, uh, just a note there. Yeah. I do want to say one other thing, and that's that, um, I think, um, and I tell this to all my patients, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And you can make yourself really overwhelmed about these environmental chemicals that we're exposed to. Um, I, you know, I've had conversations with moms. They're like, but grandma won't buy organic strawberries. And should I let my child eat when she's at their house? And, you know, I'm like, you know, if you go see grandma like once every <laughs> two, three months, please just let the child eat whatever she serves. You know, you want them to love grandma and have a good experience. But if grandma's taking care of them every single day and is their, you know, care provider, then you may need to have a conversation about or just buy the organic strawberries. Yeah, bring the groceries with you. <laughs> right. So so I think that um, I really like people with this question about environmental chemical exposures to think especially about the things they're exposed to every day. You know, what's the shampoo you're using every day like? Uh, what's the uh, facial moist- moisturizer that you're using, you know, on yourself, on your child every day? Uh, what's the food that you're eating multiple times a week? Um, and so there's where you want to be really paying attention to, is this a good, healthy choice or are there some problems with it? And your example of rice cereal every day for a month, I would consider that a problem. You know, rice cereal once, you know, amongst multiple different choices, amongst, you know, several weeks of time, probably much less of a problem. Yeah, no, but I, I'm so glad you brought that up because there's the reality piece too, right? Mm-hmm. And that is what's going through people's head. Like, oh, do I have to be like all or nothing, right. you know? And I think a lot of people think the same things too is as your kids get older, like whether another family member wants to give them um, something, you know, with the sugar in it, right? right? Or having their first their first lick of ice cream or yeah. cake. And I see so many parents panicked about all that. But like you said, and I do have to put it in perspective, if it's happening most days, that's when you really have to look at it. Mm-hmm. It's happening once in a while. There's also like, I feel like the mental aspect for the child. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you want them to still love grandma <laughs> and what grandma's doing. So right. there's there's a lot of factors there. Right. Um, let's actually, you know, we're talking about food. Let's dive into the food we eat when, um, you know, in the conception phase. Also, if we're just thinking about having a baby in the next couple of years, mm-hmm. um, kind of transitioning to hopefully when we do can't conceive, what, what does nutrition and supplementation look like? Yeah. So in terms of food, um, the number one, you know, healthy diet, U.S., World News report for multiple years in a row, Mediterranean diet. So the Mediterranean diet is very familiar to a lot of us. It is a a diet that's rich in vegetables, whole grains, fruit. There is dairy, but it's usually in the form of cheese or yogurt, so somewhat fermented. Um, There is low uh, amount of meat. There's some wine, uh, which people really are happy to hear often. Um, and it's a whole food. So it reduces the amount of ultra processed food, certainly. 
And that's important because things that increase inflammation of the body, um, which is going to be your ultra-processed food, your things that are filled with sugar or rapidly converted in the body to sugar. So a baguette, for example, a simple white bread that rapidly is converted uh, into blood sugar, those things are pro-inflammatory. You want to have a source of omega-3 fatty acids. So for many people, that's fish, especially fish that are rich in omega-3. So for example, tilapia is a very lovely fish. It's a good source of protein, but it's low in omega-3. So you want your salmon, sardines, uh, herring, mackerel. These are, are better sources, uh, black cod. Um, or you want to take a supplement to get some of that omega-3 fatty acid. If you're not someone who wants to um, eat any fish because you're vegetarian or vegan, or you just don't care for it, which is certainly true for a subset of our population. Um, and then you want abundant antioxidants, and you get those from your vegetables and fruits primarily. It also shows up in dark chocolate. That's the good news of this message. <laughs> um, and it shows up in red wine. Um, so it, it is um, um, and, uh, coffee. Coffee is a rich source of antioxidants. Uh, so you're going to be eating that kind of diet. And interestingly enough, when they've studied uh, the Mediterranean diet, they show that there's a better chance of conceiving, even when you're doing IVF, where you think you're overriding the entire system by injecting hormones. Uh, couples who are following a Mediterranean diet have a 40% higher rate of conception when they're following a Mediterranean diet. So that's the big picture. Then we could kind of dive into, well, what carbs, what fats, what proteins, you know, what um, supplements uh, should I be taking uh, when I'm trying to conceive? Yeah, no, I mean, that would be great. That's kind of, because I, I think like a lot of people, which is great, are familiar with the Mediterranean diet, but I will find some people get confused and maybe we can start with carbs. Some people get confused and they're like, oh, you know, it's it's rich in whole grains. And then they kind of lean into grains a little bit right. too much. Yeah. Um, and see the, you know, even though it's rich in fish and some meat, right? It's less red meat. Um, there I do find like I'll see some clients where their protein is lower when they come to me and their grains or carbohydrates are are much higher based off the diet because they've done whether their doctors recommended it um, or they're just, again, doing kind of like their own research online. So let's start with carbohydrates. Um, what kind of carbohydrates are we looking to consume? And um, when I say how much, Dr. Mays, I'm thinking more like if we want to make it the most realistic for people or how they can picture it, kind of like a portion size at a, at a meal. Yeah. So. Um... Carbohydrates are not all created alike. And in the studies uh, that talk about carbohydrates and fertility, a lot of this goes back to the Nurses Health Study 2, which was a big study of almost 120,000 women, big study uh, out of Harvard. And they did food frequency questionnaires, which is not the best kind of research in the world, but it is, it, it is telling. So what they found is that the women who ate simple carbohydrates, so those ones that very rapidly turn into blood sugar, breakfast cereal was one that stood out. I know breakfast cereal sometimes says American Heart Association on it, but if the first ingredient is flour or the first ingredient is sugar, 
this the industry's gotten smart. It's almost never sugar anymore. And the reason for that is that they've divvied up the sugar. So if you look at the ingredients, it may have cane sugar, honey, molasses, high fructose corn syrup, yep. maltodextrin. Exactly. <laughs> so there might be like six or 10 different sugars, and therefore it's ingredient number three, four, seven, 12, 14, as opposed to number one. But really, if you added up all those sugar, uh, the first ingredient should be sugar because there's a lot. So so that's a problem. The other problem is that breakfast cereals are made out of flour. And it doesn't matter if it's wheat flour or if you're gluten-free and it's, you know, tapioca and potato starch. Flour is something that rapidly is digested and turns your uh your body turns it into high blood sugar, which is pro-inflammatory and puts you at higher risk of diabetes over time. So you really want to be careful about the whole grains. What does that mean? Well, if you could literally see the whole grain, you know, when you're eating um, oatmeal and you get that steel cut oats, you could see that it's chopped up bits of a whole oat. Uh, wheat berries, you could see there's a whole berry there. That's the whole seed. Um, um, so if you buy a bread, is it um, a, a bread that is pure white bread? Um, my grandmother used to call it paper hangers paste. <laughs> It's just make out of flour and water uh, and a little yeast thrown in. Or are there bits of seed um, and um, grain that you're, when you chew, you actually have to do some work to chew that bread because it's a heavy, denser bread. So that's a discernment that I think it's really important for uh, the listeners to understand over time that not all carbs are alike. The other thing is, is that uh, some of the low carb diets throw out vegetables. Vegetables are the healthiest food we could eat. They are like, if you were going to say, what's my number one healthy food? It's probably vegetables. That doesn't mean you don't need protein or fat, but vegetables are carbohydrates primarily. And so um, sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm low carb. And they just, you know, very happily walk away from all their vegetables. And that's a mistake. So you do want to eat a good amount of vegetables. I think covering half your plate with vegetables, you know, whether it's a big salad, whether it's a big side of, you know, however you like to make broccoli or cauliflower or spinach or, you know, whatever it is, um, that's going to be a big portion on your plate. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's where it's like, we, even with our vegetables, we have our, our starchy vegetables, mm -hmm. which are like, you know, our potatoes, peas, corn, um, winter squashes, pumpkin, and then we have our non-starchy, which you were just talking about, which we want to try and make half of our plate. But having those starchy vegetables and mixing that up with, you know, your whole grains, like if you're doing a quinoa or talking about like a wheat berry um, or, you know, a farro or something like that, or even one of my personal favorites that I feel like doesn't get enough attention. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, Dr. Mays, if you are a fan too, but it's like a black rice. Uh-huh. I love, you know, like a good black rice. Uh -huh. Um, or but it's really important too that like we have that distinction. Cause I will say sometimes I will get some people where they're like, Yeah, I eat vegetables all the time. Like my favorite vegetable is corn. <laughs> I eat <laughs> corn all the time. <laughs> and it, you know, there's a place for starchy vegetables, especially they're gonna give you a lot more nutrients than a lot of those other carbohydrates we we're talking about. But finding that balance where half of your plate is mainly those non-starchy vegetables and then maybe, you know, a quarter of your plate 
you're choosing either a starchy vegetable or one of those whole grains um, that we discussed. But thinking about that rather than those refined grains. So like, you know, we we're saying anything really, really made with sugar and or flour. Yeah, is, our problems. Um, yeah, it's problems. And, yeah. and unfortunately, too, like one thing I always think about, and I think it helps with kind of the behavior change of getting rid of some of those foods in people's diets or allowing them to make some changes is that too, when we process those refined carbohydrates, because they lack vitamins and minerals, for anything to be digested in our body or processed, it takes vitamins and minerals. So it's like, where, do, where does it come from to process them? It, mm-hmm. it comes from your own stores. And at a time where we're really trying to build up those stores, um, you know, for ourselves to be healthy, to conceive and have a baby and also feel energetic. That's kind of like I always tell people when you have like that full ba- white bagel or like yeah. a big pasta dinner and we say, um, you know, we're in a food coma after. Right. A lot of it is, too, that like your body just used up a lot of vitamins and minerals to process that food, which is linked to our energy as well. So just sometimes thinking about that. And I know for me sometimes too, especially pregnant right now. And I'm like, oh, I could really go for like a bagel, like just a bagel of cream. You know, it's like yeah. making it different and thinking, okay, well, if I really want that, maybe I'll first start out with some eggs. I'll have, you know, a, a quarter of one and I'll scoop some of it out or a half of one, scoop some of it out, still get that cream cheese or have a slice of uh, in a different bread, like an Ezekiel bread. Yeah. Put some cream cheese on there, still get that same mouthfeel um, and that same taste and flavor. So it's all things to consider and think about. But I I do feel so strongly about really trying to avoid refined carbohydrates, especially when you're um, trying to improve your fertility. Also, when you're pregnant, it, it is it does make it more difficult if you're having sweet, sweet cravings and things like that. But luckily now there are so many options. Um, and different recipes too. I yeah. want to, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about protein because, like I was mm-hmm. saying before, I, I have found over and over so many women and men. Um, but I know we're also we're you know we're talking about particularly about women right now. Even though <laughs> men, it is so important that they are eating a well balanced diet mm-hmm. um, yeah. for conception as well. Let's talk a little bit about protein because so many people are under eating protein and how does that affect yeah. fertility? So you and I see different people because in my experience, people overeat for, oh um, protein. You know, that, that uh, it's, um, you know, people sort of say, well, you know, are you getting your protein? It's like often we get way more protein than we need. Um, the supposed amount is 0.8 grams per kilogram. Um, some people would argue that's a minimum and it should be higher than that. It certainly should be higher than that in certain situations, like you're recovering from surgery or you're over the age of 65 and you want to preserve your lean body mass. But um, I think that this is another place where we learn from the Nurses Health Study too, that not all protein is created alike when you're thinking about conceiving a child. So actually, there was more what we call ovulatory infertility. And that's infertility because someone has um, a problem in their bl- in their brain with their hypothalamus, or they have a luteal dysfunction, which is the second phase of the cycle is too long, and it's too long, um, and and um, 
in order to kind of implant and have a normal pregnancy go forward, it can't be too long. And so uh, that's another problem. Um, We have polycystic ovarian syndrome. You could say that obesity might fit into this ovulatory infertility category as well. So having the wrong kind of protein increases your risk of ovulatory infertility. And so what's the wrong kind of protein? Well, actually, meat (laughs) was associated with more ovulatory infertility. A a vegetarian form of protein, so that's going to be nuts and beans. Those are great. Eggs um, and um, um, dairy, neutral effect. Fish, fine. Um, Poultry, probably fine as well. Um, Pork, probably fine as well. But red meat increases your risk, actually, of ovulatory infertility. So you want to, that doesn't mean you should never eat meat. Sometimes uh, I had been vegetarian before I conceive my children. I remember when I was pregnant with my son, I craved meat. It was so interesting. I don't know. For all that iron, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very bioavailable source of iron. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that um, you do want to increase those vegetarian sources of protein and uh, be mindful about not eating meat at every meal, you know, reducing that, especially, of course, if you're struggling to conceive. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, people's go-to is when they think of protein, they automatically think of meat and not Mm -hmm. realizing when the research is pointing to like making sure you're incorporating a lot of vegetarian sources of protein Mm -hmm. along with. And then same in the same token, when we were talking about um, eggs, which are such a great source of choline, which I'm sure we'll talk about. In terms of dairy, the research showing that full fat dairy is much better for fertility and conception, which most people I know are, you know, trying to do low, you know, or just or more so routine to getting low fat dairy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so interesting, the fat story, because if you take milk and you centrifuge it, so it spins around really fast, you separate the watery from the fat component. And, you know, we sometimes think we are smarter than nature. So we say, okay, fat, you know, fat may be bad for you. So let's get some of that fat out. Well, two things happen. One is when you end up with the more watery component, you end up with more of the the androgenic, the Mm -hmm. male uh, type hormones. So it almost shifts you into a picture where you're like a little more of a PCOS person. And that can interfere. And there's some studies that support that. But also, the minute you take the fat out, you lose some of the mouthfeel, you lose some of the flavor and the um, way in which it's satiating. And so when you look at the label of a non-fat yogurt, there may be 20 ingredients. You know, often a lot of sugar is put in to make up for the fat, for the fact that the fat's been removed. Um, if you look at a whole fat yogurt, especially let's say organic, because I think that's another dairy is another place you want to focus on organic. Um, you will see it'll say whole milk, and then it'll have the names of different probiotics, lactobacillus of different kinds, and it's a much less processed food. So I would really agree when you're thinking about conception, when you're pregnant um, and you're doing dairy, whole fat is better than low fat or non-fat. And make sure you choose the organic products because um, the non-organic 
cows, which is where most of our dairy comes from, are treated with uh, growth hormones. And even though it's not exactly the same as the growth hormone that we produce, one, that may not be a good thing, (laughs) but it increases levels of uh, something called insulin-like growth factor, which is a pro-inflammatory substance. And anytime you increase inflammation, it has all sorts of health consequences, but it also has the consequence of interfering with conception. Yeah, no, I agree. And I find so many women, it's like you were talking about the mouthfeel and you do, you feel more satisfied Mm -hmm. and satiated from it with the fat. It's really hard for them to even want to go back. And the great thing is then once you have your beautiful baby and they're eating whole milk yogurt, (laughs) uh, whole milk organic yogurt, I should say, they, you know, you guys can just have the same thing, which you Mm -hmm. find as a parent, whatever is easiest (laughs) and works best, you will take. Um, I'm curious now, our last two that we want to kind of dive into are exercise and stress management. Let's first start with exercise. What do you recommend or is there anything you don't recommend for um, women who are trying to conceive? So exercise is interesting. I feel like I spend my life as a doctor (laughs) who cares about health promotion and prevention, trying to convince people to exercise more. In preconception, I sometimes am trying to convince women to exercise less. And that's because um, you need a certain amount of body fat to conceive. You need a certain amount of body fat to have regular menstrual cycles. We know, for example, that gymnasts uh, who get really lean sometimes lose their menstrual periods. Um, Anorexic women can lose their menstrual periods. So you need a certain um, uh, amount of fat stores to conceive. Um, And it makes some sense from an evolutionary biology perspective. You know, you you need to have enough reserve uh, for your physiology to say, oh, this person is not in survival mode. This person can be in reproductive mode. So if you're someone who's running marathons, you know, that's a wonderful thing. It may interfere with your ability to conceive. Uh, If you're someone who likes, you know, the most intense Ashtanga yoga practice, again, it's, it's wonderful in general, but it may interfere with your attempting to conceive. So Sometimes people do have to back off exercise, which doesn't mean don't exercise at all. Of course, it's really healthy to be toned and have good muscle strength. That's going to help your delivery go more smoothly. But you you probably, um, if you're someone who's like a super fit, high-performance athlete, backing off some may be necessary. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. A lot of the time, it's the conversation of, Let's take back the intensity. Like this is mm-hmm. not the time to be doing lots of hit training, and because mm-hmm. um, it also it just it increases the stress in our body, which is mm-hmm. the next thing we'll talk about, right. and the importance of stress management. Which I'm curious in your practice too. You know, the biggest thing I found with stress is actually for women who, let's say, they've been trying for a few mm-hmm. weeks, a few months, whatever it is, or just the thought of. Mm-hmm. Can, like the thought of conception is stressing them mm-hmm. out. That seems to be such a large barrier. And when they do let go of the process a little bit, um, seems to play a factor. But I, I'm really curious to see what you, and hear what you've seen in your practice 
in terms of stress and the role it plays in fertility? Yeah. Well, when we're highly stressed, um, again, from that evolutionary biology perspective, the message from the brain, the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland to the ovaries and to the adrenal glands is wrong time to reproduce because there's too much stress. You need to wait until things are more even um, and um, more tolerable to bring another human into this world because it's feeling dangerous. So managing stress, I think, is critically important. And everybody does that a little differently. Um, I uh, have to say for myself, um, my um, physical activity, you know, taking a walk every day is one of the ways that I self-regulate my emotional stress. Um, I do yoga. A lot of people like yoga, not for the flexibility and strength, which it's also really good for, but actually because it's centering. You know, I sometimes will say I start with a really busy mind, and then at the end, I feel quiet and one-pointed. Uh, but not everybody likes yoga, and there are so many different ways. This is the beauty of an integrative medicine approach. There are so many different ways. So there's journaling, there's meditation, there's guided imagery, there's chanting, there's humming, there's singing, uh, there's um, walking or some other form of exercises, tai chi. Uh, there are mind-body groups that teach you a wide range of practices. Uh, sometimes group support can be really valuable, especially if you've been struggling for a while, which I hope is defined as more than a few cycles, because it's normal not to get pregnant on the yeah. first cycle. So, <laughs> but yeah. but but if you've been wrestling for more than a year, you know that can be very stressful. Um, and so. Um, incorporating something. One of the things that I recommend to essentially every patient who comes to see me is an app. Uh, most people have a smartphone. It's called Insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, Insight Timer. The reason I love it is that it has 120,000 free things. <laughs> so <laughs> there's Calm, there's Headspace, uh, there's um, Liberate for designed if you're African-American, there are some really wonderful mind-body apps. I think these are amazing tools, but I have to say 120,000 free things. It's hard to um, you know, give up. Um, why pay $60 a year when you have that much available to you just for the download? No, I love that. And like that's always too, like I'll find so many good um because I'm like, you, I'd love to take a walk outside. It's just so de-stressing. Mm -hmm. And I love to do a walking meditation. So also mm -hmm. thinking like meditation, I feel like I'm always preaching this. It doesn't have to mean that you're sitting on some fancy right? pillow. <laughs> um, I actually, I prefer like doing a walking meditation and breathing mm -hmm. in the fresh air. But with that sense that, you know, we talked about in the beginning and like you were saying, it's your body when you're under stress is telling your ovaries like, no, it is not a good time to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it's like that stress is just coming from trying to have me. So it's just right. all counteracting each other. So if you find like, and you're listening right now and you're like, you know, I really, I've tried a few different stress management tools, but not that many. Try a bunch. Try mm -hmm. different ones because everyone's different. And what works for some people, some people I know, like even just journaling about their mm -hmm. fertility journey at the end of the night. And getting it out on paper and their feelings mm -hmm. and not having to like share it with everyone all the time because that's mm -hmm. another thing too. It's like during mm -hmm. your fertility journey, you're, not, you're sharing it with your doctor. Yeah. Um, maybe family is constantly asking you, so like, are you pregnant this month? And that can be a lot. And really, mm -hmm. 
intense for people and just increasing that stress. So find what works for you. Um, I know we're running out of time. And the last thing I want to say, and if you have anything to add, Dr. Macy's, is just how important everything we talked about is for your partner as well. Because it's not just women alone in the fertility journey. And it's, I mean, from the last, I want to say the last statistic I read, and this is where I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but over a little bit over half of infertility is from the male factor, not the female factor. Um, And it can feel like everything is put on the female, but know that everything we recommended is for both partners. Yes. um, Male fertility in some ways is easier than female. And it's certainly easier to evaluate because it's way easier to do a semen analysis than it is you know, for women to see, is there a blockage in their tubes or do they have something else? Uh, the the assessment, the diagnostic assessment when you're having trouble is much more challenging, actually, for the most part, for women than for men. Um, my understanding is it's about a third, a third, a third. A third is women, a okay. third is men, and a third is, you know, this particular partnership has some joint issue. Um, I completely agree that, that um, all partners, you know, want to do what they can um, to improve their health. I want to also say one other thing. Um, the prenatal vitamin, really important. Um, take it if you're a woman of childbearing age, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially women from 13 to 45. Yep. Uh, all the groups, the American Association of Family Physicians, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the United States Preventive Services Task Force all recommend that you take folic acid. Some say a multivitamin with folic acid. And that's because there's really good evidence that in terms of folic acid, there's less uh, neural tube defects, musculoskeletal defects, heart defects. And um, the other thing is, is that there's good evidence if you take the multivitamin that has the folic acid, so the whole picture you're more likely to conceive, you're less likely to have a miscarriage, you're less likely to have a child who has a birth defect, you're less likely to have a child who ends up later in life having childhood leukemia, which is, of course, terrible to witness your child have leukemia. So take that. And still in the U.S., about half of pregnancies are unplanned, and that's why it's important to be taking that um, prenatal vitamin. Men also benefit from a vitamin. Don't take your partners because um, you don't want to be taking iron and prenatals all should have iron in them. Um, So the men um, who take one are more likely to be able to successfully impregnate their partner and have a healthy child. Um, And pay attention to the list of ingredients on that prenatal. It's not well-regulated. So half of them don't have iodine. You want one that has iodine, 150 micrograms. Many of them don't have choline. You want choline. Most people would say 450 milligrams, not 30. You need a lot more choline than that. So you want to look carefully at the label. And, um, you know, sometimes they have fancy stuff you don't need, um, but you, you, there's a minimum set of ingredients that you really do want to see on it. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. We actually, we've done so much education on what your prenatal is lacking. And for women just looking at, you know, if you're even listening, you're like, well, I know I want to have a baby in a couple of years or, you know, I'm just not, 
just look at your prenatal as taking your multivitamin. It's right. just it, right? It's almost just like a souped up multivitamin for you as a woman um, of childbearing age. But yeah, I mean, the array of, and I know I touched on it early on, but like the array of prenatal vitamins out there and what's in them and what's not in them is the more concerning part or just or what they could be lacking. Like, for instance, like choline, like you just said, um, can have detrimental effects, unfortunately. Um, so we love Dr. Maisie's. Oh, I mean, we could go, honestly, we could just talk <laughs> on a supplementation, um, which maybe we'll have to have you come back and do. Um, we do love to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q&A. So first okay. thing that comes to mind, you actually answered the first one already. It was, <laughs> what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? And you said going out for a walk. So that one is done. Um, coffee or tea? Well, they both have a lot of benefits for health. So I think you get to choose the one you like better. But no, they, this is for you. This is all about oh, you. Oh, me. Are me. you a oh, coffee Oh, I <laughs> coffee first thing in the morning. Yes. <laughs> and how do you take it? Do you like put anything in it? Do you have it black? I'm a bla- I do it black. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Um, okay. What is your favorite home-cooked meal? Mm. Something with a lot of vegetables, like a really good stir-fry with lots of different vegetables. Yeah, that's what I always think of, like, especially with the weather right now. It's like it's stews, stir fries. Wow. It's like anything that you can just pack in. And that's what we're, we're such frozen vegetable junkies, especially having a kid, because it's so easy to just uh-huh. whip something up. Right. But um, I find we eat so many more vegetables when our freezer is stocked because we don't have to keep up with, like, is it fresh? Is it going bad? Yeah. Is You know, yeah. and, and I love that with, like, a stew or a stir fry, you can just toss it in. Uh-huh. Um, so that is a great one. <laughs> well, definitely, this has been like, I'm sure for anyone listening and that's either been trying to conceive or is thinking about it, this has been so helpful. Um, and also for myself too, where can people connect with you, learn more? Um, I know you have a book out on it too if they want to read more. So just tell us all the places. Sure. Well, I did write a book. It's called Be Fruitful, The Essential Guide to Maximizing Fertility and Giving Birth to a Healthy Child. So if you want to dive deeper into any of these topics um, and some things we didn't talk about, like what's the role of spirituality? What about traditional Chinese medicine or acupuncture? You could get more information there. Um, I'm at the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, and I also have a podcast called Body of Wonder. A fabulous podcast, I might add, too. Thank you. Um, Well, thank you so much. This has been so great. Like I said, maybe we'll have to have you back and even just cover some of those things we missed. Um, But I really appreciate your time, and hopefully we will connect again soon. It was a great pleasure to be on your show, Kate, and I wish you an easy birth and a healthy, beautiful baby. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This week's actionable step is to pick one area Dr. Maisie's discussed today to start improving for better fertility and a healthy pregnancy. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com 
and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.